from Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Amanda Icone. More than 200 Chinese companies are registered to trade in the U.S., but unlike domestic companies, these companies are able to skirt a key investor protection in U.S. law, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. It was born out of the Enron and WorldCom accounting scandals. It regulated the audits of publicly traded companies in the U.S. and created the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board to serve as the industry's watchdog. But the board isn't able to inspect the work of auditors based in China, and that lack of oversight increases the chance of fraud and could put investors' money at risk. The Securities and Exchange Commission raised concerns about the PCAOB's lack of access in China and the possible risks last year. Some members of Congress are worried, too, and introduced legislation in June that would crack down on China if Beijing doesn't let U.S. audit inspectors in. So what's being done? I spoke with Paul Gillis, who teaches at Peking University School of Management in Beijing, about why this issue has resurfaced suddenly and what's likely to happen next. Paul, thank you for joining me today to talk about China and auditing. Thank you for having me on. So the U.S. audit regulator has not been able to access the work papers of Chinese auditors. This has been a longstanding barrier to the regulator's watchdog role, which is to keep tabs on the auditors of public companies trading here in the U.S., both the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board and the SEC have been chipping away at this, trying to reach an agreement with China for years now without much success. Why is this an important issue? Uh, What Sarbanes-Oxley required is that all accounting firms be inspected by the PCOB at least every three years. And that includes foreign accounting firms that uh, audit U.S.-listed companies or play a significant role in the audit of U.S.-listed companies. Um, Many countries, after Sarbanes-Oxley came into effect, uh, initially resisted allowing the PCAOB to come to their countries to inspect, uh, citing national sovereignty concerns or privacy concerns. Uh, China was the biggest holdout and and, uh, the biggest because uh, Chinese private companies have for almost 20 years used the U.S. capital markets as their primary capital market. Um, They tended to list in China rather than list in Hong Kong or in uh, uh, they wouldn't listen. They'd listen in the United States instead of listing in Hong Kong or in China. Um, because the U.S. market was better specialized in the kind of technology companies that we have here, and the U.S. had more relaxed standards for listing uh, than did Hong Kong or mainland China. The uh, PCOB tried to do inspections for a, with China for a number of years and has had some breakthroughs to allow for certain types of cooperation But in general, China has taken the position that the disclosure of audit working papers to a U.S. regulator would would cause two harms to China. One, it would, uh, allowing a foreign regulator to enforce foreign law on Chinese soil against Chinese people uh, is considered to be an infringement of China's national sovereignty. And then secondly, uh, there was a concern that the audit work papers might contain state secrets. Uh, China has a very expansive definition of state secrets, such that basically any transaction with a state-owned enterprise uh, in China is considered to be a state secret. So, for example, my mobile phone bill is technically a state secret. So 
why now? This, this this has the tension of the SEC again. The PCOB is talking about this again. Congress is involved at this point. Well, this has been issue's been a real thorn in the side of the PCOB and the SEC now for a couple of decades. And there were quite a large number of accounting frauds uh, that uh, that basically hurt many U.S. investors in uh, in Chinese companies. The uh, uh, many of these frauds were identified by short sellers, and there's an argument that a uh, more effective audit regime might have found more of these frauds before they were able to to rip off uh, American shareholders. So that that put a lot of pressure on trying to get something done. And uh, I think also the rising tensions between the United States and China have uh, encouraged some of the uh, legislators to to pile on to the uh, anti-China sentiment in the United States. And uh, so I think that the trade war has uh, has also encouraged some of these legislators to induce this kind of legislation to control the uh, Chinese companies that are that are taking advantage of U.S. capital markets. I want to talk more about what Congress has proposed in a minute. But first, let's talk about that trade war. Let's talk about the trade tensions. How does this issue of access to audit work papers tie into the, you know, as we record this, the ongoing U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations? Is this even on the table? And should it be? Well, I don't think the issue, that issue has really been on the table. It's a somewhat narrow issue um, and uh, and one that I don't think either side has been all that excited about in the past. So a lot of the uh, sort of a background issue to the uh, to the trade wars is this concern of a rising technological China. And uh, there are a couple of aspects to that. One is the uh, many of the people who work in that industry are American educated. Uh, U.S. Ph.D. programs turn out uh, uh, hundreds of Chinese Ph.D.s every year in the science fields that uh, are, are often returning to China to help develop China's new newfound leadership in this area. And then Chinese companies have traditionally tapped the U.S. capital markets for the money necessary to develop these industries. And as a result, uh, China now has some very large and very successful e-commerce companies uh, that uh, that position to change the world map in terms of uh, technology and e-commerce over the coming decades. I wondered what else we should know about China, how the government works, how its economy is structured. Uh, you, you know, you just mentioned that it's it's positioning itself to be a world leader, a world technology leader. You know that that would help us better understand the barriers facing a U.S. regulator and the potential risks to U.S. investors. You mentioned there had already been some some cases of U.S. investors being defrauded from defrauded by Chinese companies. You know, what else do we need to know about what's happening there? Uh, the private sector is now dominant in China. The uh, all of the new economy companies are privately held companies, where the old economy companies like steel and oil. Uh, tend to still be uh, state-controlled companies. Uh, but the, as the private companies arose, uh, they were unable to access capital in China. Part of it was ideological, that many people at the banks viewed that a loan to a private enterprise was not patriotic. It certainly was riskier for a bank or for an investor to invest in a 
privately owned company uh, because the state-owned companies were all effectively government guaranteed. So a banker or a, or a uh, investor would not be uh, uh, would would never have to worry about security of their investment if they invested in a state-owned enterprise. So China has taken steps to open up its capital markets to private companies better, but it's still the case that the larger Chinese private companies have tended to go overseas for listings, and most of the private companies have chosen the U.S. market, uh, whereas the state-owned enterprises have often gone to the Hong Kong market to raise capital. The uh, private companies like Alibaba have generally chosen the United States markets because they are bigger and more sophisticated with respect to technological investments. You mentioned Alibaba. What other Chinese-based companies are traded here in the U.S.? I mean, this is not just a, a small handful of companies we're talking about. I mean, there's, a, you know, potentially hundreds of them. Are there other household names? I mean, can you can you give us an example of like just how big of a, a group of companies we're talking about? Well, there are, there are a couple. There are, are presently several hundred companies, Chinese companies, listed on major U.S. exchanges, Nasdaq and New York Stock Exchange. Um, and plus hundreds more that had listed on the over-the-counter bulletin board system. Many of the companies that listed over-the-counter uh, were reverse mergers, where a uh, Chinese company is merged into a public shell company, often a company that's already gone through bankruptcy. And uh, then that company is immediately registered with the SEC without having to go through audits or uh, or comments by the uh, SEC staff. So it's, it was a shortcut approach to getting on the market. Reverse mergers largely ended a few years back when the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange uh, both put restrictions on the ability of companies that do reverse mergers to upgrade their listings to NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange listings. And I haven't seen any of those transactions in uh, in several years. But they are a big part of the legacy, and a very high percentage of those reverse mergers uh, proved to be frauds. And whether they were deliberate frauds or whether they just simply were unprepared for the challenges of uh, reporting as a public company, uh, there's probably some of both of those uh, issues present. The ability to list in the U.S. is sort of a, a core issue that several pieces of le- legislation that have been introduced in both the House and the Senate tackles. The, the bill specifically threatened to delist Chinese companies from U.S. exchanges if they don't comply with PCOB inspection regulations. Does that threat of delisting put any pressure on the Chinese to relax its a definition of um, state secrets or to come to the table to, to negotiate access to audit work papers? I think China would prefer to retain access to U.S. capital markets, but it is unwilling to make a, uh, a significant compromise uh, that would be viewed as, as trading away at national security issues or its sovereignty uh, in order to achieve that. China, on the other hand, China would like to see its companies return to China. Uh, so if these law, bills become law, what will happen is it begins a three-year period to either find a settlement for this issue on inspection, or these companies are going to have to find a new home. And what I would expect is most of them would try to move their primary listing from New York 
to Hong Kong. The Hong Kong stock market is probably the best suited to deal with this. You know, companies like Alibaba and, and Jingdong are quite huge companies. So I think the Hong Kong exchange is large enough to handle those, and that's probably where most of them go. And, and during that period, there would also be a chance for continued negotiations between the United States and China and some pressure on Chinese regulators to find a way to allow inspections of, uh, uh, of audit, Chinese auditors, including the, uh, the big four, which audit most of the, uh, uh, of the U.S. listing. Um, the, uh, the big four accounting firms, they're also the largest firms in China. And to allow them to be inspected would be uh, something that China might be willing to find some way to reach accommodation on to allow these, uh, these listings to continue. Uh, but I think uh, what we're seeing is that uh, the, the bills that have been proposed in Congress are really just piling on to the trade war tensions um, and a view that China is uh, taking advantage of the U.S. And, and there's, there's, there's not much doubt that Chinese companies listed in the United States are subject to lower standards than American companies listed in the United States. And that just doesn't seem fair to anybody. And it's a, it's a legacy of when the the exchanges wanted to attract more listings of uh, of, of companies such as uh, German companies that might seek a dual listing for their shares to have some shares listed in the United States and some shares listed in uh, in Germany and they didn't want to create any additional burdens for those companies so they tried to make it as easy as possible for them to list but that created this opportunity for Chinese companies that are not listed in China uh, to take advantage of the looser listing requirements in the United States. And, uh, and that has created a lot of risk for U.S. investors. How much interest is there here among members of Congress on this issue? I mean, is this, is this bill likely to make it to the floor for a vote, let alone become law? I, I would expect that the uh, Chinese will want, if there's a settlement coming to the trade war, and uh, I don't see that as, as something that's going to be easy to achieve, uh, given the, the, the way that the, uh, uh, the negotiations have taken place so far. Then, then I think this issue may get wrapped up in a settlement on the trade war and the, uh, uh, the bills will never advance. If the trade war stalls out into a cold war that's going to last for a long time, then I think uh, the, uh, these bills probably get pushed forward as a way to just continue to put the pressure on China to come to the table and negotiate. How much negotiating is actually happening right now in terms of this specific issue, you know, access to audit work papers? Is anybody I don't talking think to anyone? Anything, yeah, I don't think there's really been anything going on. You know, the issue has been negotiated, you know, off and on for a, more than a decade. And, uh, you know, China would keep trying to make promises and make concessions that would allow some pilot inspections and it would agree to certain degrees of cooperation. But when it actually came down to actually doing something, you know, the PCOB would be told that they could do a pilot inspection. Um, but when they would arrive, they wouldn't be allowed to really look at anything or ask any questions. Um, they're only able to observe what is going on, and they found that to be uh, inadequate going forward. 
China is, I don't think, going to negotiate on this issue until it's got a gun held to its head. And that's really what these bills are providing. Paul, that's all I have for you. I, I really want to thank you for taking time to speak with me today about this uh, ongoing issue with um, access to audit work papers in China. And thank you for, for speaking with us today. Well, thank you very much for including me. And now, this week's top news. Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York have sued the IRS in federal court to defend their efforts to work around a cap on state and local tax deductions. Final IRS rules ban state programs aimed at helping people get around the $10,000 federal limit included in the 2017 tax law. The state workarounds would offer a credit for donations to charitable funds. The U.S. Senate passed tax treaty updates with four countries this week, the first action on tax treaties in years. The protocols with Spain, Switzerland, Japan, and Luxembourg specify which country has the authority to tax income so that taxpayers don't pay twice. Foreign Relations Committee Chairman James Risch said he's eager to advance three new tax treaties this year with Chile, Hungary, and Poland. For more on these and other stories, visit news.bloombergtax.com. That's all for this week. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on Earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home. If you're interested in bees, too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.